What if you could use an alternative retail channel to drive growth? Or use an industry downturn to your advantage? Those are just two of the topics I discuss with Chris Mogridge, founder of wheel brand Mercury Cycles. Like so many others, he started by building wheels using catalog rims, hubs, and spokes, then slowly progressed to creating their own proprietary rims and more. This might sound kind of like my interview with Boyd Cycles, but the similarities end there. Chris has taken a completely different tack to retail, which I think is the most valuable lesson from this episode. There are some great stories about failing fast and moving on, not getting sidetracked, and how slumping sales in the bike market are saving him a ton on manufacturing. Oh, and we throw out a killer business idea near the end that you are free to grab. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Chris, how long have you been running Mercury Wheels? Uh, we started in 2008, so uh, shoot, man, is that nine years? Yeah, something <laughs> Feel, like that. Feels like 900. <laughs> All right, now what were you doing before that? Uh, I was actually in um, a real estate developing, and that was roughly uh, early 2000s until 07, 08, and things took a, a downturn in that business, and living in a small town, Mississippi, I had to figure something else out, and I was riding quite a bit and at that point in time and and um, started doing the research on on why I wanted to make uh, my, my hobby into a career. Was it always going to be wheels or was that the only thing you looked at? What else did you look at? Uh, we, we actually looked at frames first. Uh, I had grand ambitions to do that and uh, like everybody else and brought them in, a few samples here and there and uh, it's, it was... I, I wasn't big enough. My 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 wallet wasn't big enough to do battle with all the big guys. So we started looking at wheels um, and other different markets within the bike industry. And at that point in time, there was a, a heavy zip fatigue, is what I like to refer to it as. Because at that point in time, there's only a, a handful of wheel companies, and and people were open to uh, a new set of wheels. All right. So with the the frames, you were just going to bring in like an open mold design and brand it, or? Uh, yeah, I was working with a. Uh, a broker, a Taiwanese broker that had some of his, um, it's, they were open molds, but they were his personal mold. So he would give me exclusivity in the U S but still it didn't, it didn't matter. It was, it was too hard of a, of a, of an industry to get into. Was that, why, what made that hard? Uh, what were the specific things you looked at that said, yeah, this just, I can't do this. Yeah. I mean, it, it all boiled down to how much cash do you have? Uh, so to to have a complete wheel, uh, I'm sorry, a complete bike line, you'd have to have, uh, at that point, cyclocross was kind of getting popular. So you had to have a cross frame, uh, a, a road frame or two, a TT bike, a mountain bike. And then with that comes parts and just just everything with it just gets expensive because then you'd have to buy sizes, colorways, and 
Um, it, and then the bike shops at that point weren't interested as well. So you don't have to go a direct route. And that was back when it was very unpopular to go to a direct, uh, way of distribution model. And I, I just couldn't do it. It just didn't work out for me. Hmm. Okay. And so wheels, what was, what did you see different about wheels that from the frames? Uh, people, basically there's five parts to a wheel. Uh, so it's very simple. Um, spokes, nipples, uh, rim hub, and the actual build. So five, five parts to a wheel is, very, uh, is, is, is a lot simpler than 20,000 different choices on a bike. Uh, and so that's what we did. We, we, we decided that a simple way would be the better way to do it. Uh, and how we actually got into wheels is, is, is kind of funny. We met up with uh, Frankie Andreo, who was the director um, for the Kinda Pro team that first year. Uh, their wheel sponsor fell through at the last minute. Uh, met him at Interbike. He, he reached out to me and and that's how we, we we did it. We just started the wheel side of it with that team. Uh, before, and before we even sold one set of wheels, we actually sponsored the team, gave them a whole uh, boatload of wheels to, to test out, you know, different hubs, different ways to, that, you know, lacing patterns, different spokes, to try to figure out how to, how to build that perfect set of wheels, or at that point in time, the perfect set of wheels. Were you, and when you started, this was all with off-the-shelf parts coming from... Asia and anywhere else, or uh, yeah, no, it's all Asia. So we, um, um, well, of course, we we started out with DT two forty. So I guess you could call those Swiss made. I think, um, and then we used uh, Supreme spokes. So those are a, a Belgian made product, especially the CX Ray. Uh, so, but but the the main components were uh, Asian sourced. You know the the rims and and all that. And but yeah, it's Asian sourced mostly. Okay. Well, so that's a little bit different than just getting in like complete kind of unbranded stuff. I mean, DT Swiss is a huge brand. Supreme is a huge brand for those respective parts. Absolutely, and and, and I learned early on in business, especially through the developing real estate developing side, always put the best, highest quality product you possibly can out there. Otherwise, it's going to come back and bite you on in the butt. So, at, at that point in time, if I put my name on something, it's it's going to be uh, the best I can possibly do. And then were they Mercury branded rims? They were right Mercury, off the bat. Yeah, Mercury branded rims, uh, and also hubs, uh, with the exception of the the DT two forties. We had a, a a lower priced Asian hub as well that would would uh, you know kind of more of a price pointed wheel set. So we came out with two different uh, pr- prices on our wheels. The first one had uh, you know high end stuff that was was doing battle with like the Zip price points, and then the other one was the um, you know, at, at that time, Easton, you know, like the $1,500 wheel set that uh, I, I couldn't afford to, to spec a 240 on there. So we got a really nice Novatech hub who's been in the business forever making hubs for a lot of different people. So we tried to use the highest quality components that we possibly could. Right on. And how long before you started developing your own rims? Because now I, I want to say probably at least half, if not the majority, of your rims are your own designs, right? That that is correct. Uh, we we started one by one, um, probably back in uh, two thousand and eleven or so is the first year I think we started out with our own own design, and then um, uh, just just kind of went from there. And as we we saw um, um, products that we could not find or source from an Asian company. That's when we designed that rim. Okay, that starts to answer my next question: Was why make the jump from a catalog item, 
rim to your own design. Yeah. What, what were you not finding that you wanted? Uh, basically, that it was the the uh, the, the wider is better, um, uh, not market, but the the wider is better uh, idea came about, and a lot of the Asian uh, factories weren't jumping on that bandwagon at, at that point in time. So when I'd go over and talk to the factories. Uh, I would ask them, "Hey, I I need something a little bit wider. Can we? De- would you help me design this?" And they'd say, "Sure. Why do you want it wider?" So then I'd try to explain that it's an, a better quality, better feeling ride, um, and and they never really understood it to open up a, a an open mold. So it would be on me at that point, um, and so that, that's what I did. All right. And are we talking carbon rims by this point, or are we? Doing both carbon and aluminum yeah, a, in your own designs. A little bit of both, and so I, I, I saw, um, early on, I saw a, a, a value where, a value set of wheels, uh, the aluminum set of wheels, which I ride almost every day. Um, not necessarily, you know, not the carbon, just because I like the feel of an aluminum rim. As I'm getting older, I'm, you know, less worried about going faster, and and I'm enjoying, you know, the the being out there for hours at a time, not an hour. You know, going fast as I can. So, uh, so what I try to do is make myself as comfortable as possible, and we achieve that in a couple different ways. One uh, is our our lacing pattern, and then also the the spoke tensions that we use it doesn't really beat you up, but adds a, a, a sense of lateral stiffness to the wheel. Um, we're going to jump around a little bit because you and I had breakfast together, and we're discussing a lot of things that. I want to ask you about. So, as far as rims go, you said that now with your carbon rims, they're all your own designs except for your really deep section. And for the non-cyclist listening, a deep section just means a, a taller, more aero rim, so a, a deeper rim, maybe like you know, 60, 70, 80 millimeters deep or so. And so, real quick, like why do you not produce, or why do you not go to the expense of designing that? particular style rim yourself yeah I, I don't sell enough to to put forth all the money to develop that uh, once you get into that deep sections you have to hire a, a um, uh, some fluid dynamicist to, to really figure out if it's going to be aerodynamic or not and at that point if I'm if I'm only selling you know 100 sets of those it just doesn't make sense for me to do that and so what we've done is found a an open source that uh that basically borrows the technology from all the the fast guys out there and uh, faster rim companies out there, and and we just go for it from that way. And for the people looking to open up something like I think I don't know if this is rim specific, but I've heard similar numbers from a lot of the different places. If you want to create a part in carbon fiber, you need to create molds, either internal, external depending on if it's a bladder on the inside or something. But usually it's a, a metal outer mold, mm-hmm. and then the inside of it is blown, like inflated. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the cost of doing that? Uh, depends on the factory, but you're looking at between, you're looking at a good $10,000 to, to have one, one mold made, uh, and that is just one mold. So if you start doing a little bit of quantity, you need a few molds for them to, to actually you know, make more than one rim at a time. So they'll have two or three rims going at the factory, not just one one rim. Because it's a couple hour process to make one rim. Right? Exactly right, and it's all hand done. So it's not a you're not looking at a machine doing it. It's actually people laying up individual swatches of carbon. All right. Okay. So this leads nicely into the next thing. You're showing we've got here in front of us a, a new rim, and at breakfast you mentioned that 
one of the <clears throat> things that people have done with their carbon rims is carbon rims look very similar in shape to an aluminum rim. And the way aluminum rims are made is they're extruded through, you know, a dye, I guess, or mold, mm-hmm. whatever it is. It's and a dye. So they have a certain shape to them, and carbon rims, as they've come out, have followed that shape. And so I'm sitting here thinking, well, why would you do that different? Because the shape works. I mean, it's a functional shape. It's not like it. they had to make some concessions because they're running it through a die. But now you're showing me this carbon rim that has some a little bit more three-dimensional features to it, and your logo is kind of uh, 3D relieved on it. Uh, what is that purely an aesthetic thing, or are there other things about this rim that do not follow the traditional shaping? Uh, this is a starting point for us, uh, but yes, it's it's uh, the Mercury embossed logo, basically that 3D re- relief on it. it that is as pure aesthetics. Uh, but what we thought is, uh, you know, it, it's a formed rim. Why not add some some kind of cool characteristics to it? Why keep it 100% flat? Like it's an extruded rim, so we're we're kind of playing with that that idea. So you know, purely purely aesthetics is one thing, but then why not add some uh, almost like some budding to the to the rim? So you actually what we're looking to do is add more material around uh, the actual uh, uh, the clincher bead uh, to prevent uh, more impact resistance. So it's going to be structurally sounder rim once we're done and 100 percent. Uh, done with the design. Which is all just done by designing the mold or laying up more carbon in a specific section, right? Exactly right. And what we also can do is, uh, um, you know, use different carbon weaves at different spots within the rim um, to to make it um, better functioning or higher impact or whatever whatever the goal we're looking to do, we can use different materials to achieve that, not just one carbon rim, or I'm sorry, carbon material that looks all the same. We're looking to do a little bit different things with it. One, it's going to add a, a lot of aesthetics to it, but two, it's going to add uh, some, you know, some properties that we're all looking for, in the, especially in the mountain bike side. Right. And so this is a mountain bike rim we're looking at, and, you know, mountain bikes yeah. nowadays are 99.9% disc brake, which means with the rims, you don't have to worry about a brake track on the rim. And so you have this logo and blessed embossed almost right up to the top edge of the rim and this is one of the things that you mentioned is that once you did this then you realized that you couldn't really run it through the wheel tree machine because it was pinging on those uh letters sticking out which I, I almost just say that it's more like just one of those things that you learn after the fact but this is just a prototype so it's like in your mind is there a way to kind of think through those things first or is it just sort of that this is the trial and error right yeah this is the trial and error everything looks good on paper of course uh, and then you you have and what we did is we had you know a, a section 3 printed and to make sure it looked good the embossing looks good to get what we wanted to but the unforeseen things is when we stuck it in our truing stand our builder uh, you know he's like hey man it, it, you know it's you know your your logo's pinging on my on my truing stand. You know the little the nodule cut that comes out to make sure it's all true. And so at that point I'm like, oh yeah, that, that, I didn't think about that. <laughs> so you know not back to the drawing board. We just make some minor modifications to that mold, and then we go for it from there. So it's it's a it is a, a slight trial and error uh, when we when you design new stuff. It you know you you can't think of everything. Yeah. And- well, the important part is to try, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> right, it, right. yeah, it's like one of those things you just 
before you spend a whole lot of money on development, I guess try and think through the entire process of your product, you know, if, especially if you're relying on different parts and pieces coming together. How how do they come together? Yeah, absolutely. Right on. And switching to, well, no, let's stay on rims. So you've been telling me for years now that you were working on a proprietary alloy for mm-hmm. some kind of metal rim, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you've ever developed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, that um, I, I had to kill that project. It was it didn't make sense. Uh, there's always materials and ways you manufacture that make sense for different parts. Uh, unfortunately, this was just a good idea on paper, uh, but when it when it you know when it rubber meets the road, it just it just didn't ever formulate. So I had to give up on that idea, and that's where we've kind of switched our 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 emphasis on the. You know the the using different carbon materials or different t- types of uh, materials instead of the metal, we're going to stick with the 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 the, uh, the cloth or the you know Kevlar uh, carbon, different types of carbon, different resins instead of uh, a metal uh, matrix matrixing in with uh, carbon. Okay, so that's what it was. It was a blending of the two different materials. Exactly. Oh. We we just could never make it light enough. No one was going to buy it. So what we were trying to do is create a situation where on the road, especially on the rim brake uh, facet, uh, it would give a, a nice braking surface, uh, but then also on the mountain bike side, it would give a high, higher impact resistance. Or you could, if you do have an impact, you can, you can straighten it up a little bit. Hmm. Okay. So that's what we are doing, but it didn't work out. Right on. And it was purely a weight thing? It wasn't a... a manufacturing issue or cost issue no it, it was uh oh it's going to be expensive because it was going to be made in the usa and that was that was one of the things i always uh push on especially when we first started out nine years ago was i, I want to make as much as i can in the u.s and so um it, it's proving difficult because of the cost I, and you know the, the agents they know what they're doing with the carbon um and it's it, i'm finding it more and more difficult that's why i bring everything over and we hand build everything in-house uh, that's that's where I think I can um, achieve the best, um, you know, quality control on the build side is to bring it in house. Hold on. So the braking surface, and again for the non-cyclists, one of the issues with carbon fiber rims is that you know there's a resin inside, and when you brake, you're essentially creating friction from or heat from friction, and so you have to worry about what that heat is doing to the resin whether it's going to delaminate the rims a little bit and cause the carbon, the resin to soften again and and deform the rims. So that's one issue that a lot of people have come up with interesting solutions where it's either mixing materials in with the resin and stuff like that. And so you were talking about uh, testing some different materials and testing different carbon rims for heat. And my question to you at breakfast was why go to the time and expense and trouble of testing that when so many bikes are moving to disc brakes and you won't have to worry about that and I'll let you re-answer it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very valid question and, and, and it, it doesn't really make sense to to kind of not go where the future is. You know, Wayne Gretzky has a, had a saying, uh, skate where the puck is going to be, not where it's at currently. So it's one of those things where why aren't we skating towards where where the puck is going to be, and that's rim brake. And I do realize that, but there's still a lot of people that ride rim brake, especially, like you said, on the road. Um, 99% of the mountain bikers, I mean, it's all, it's all disc for that, for that matter. Uh, and everything is trending that way, and that's why we're putting our emphasis on the rim 
designed for impact is because of the uh, everything is switching over to disc brake. Now, with that being said, there, there is still a lot of people on the road that ride rim brake. And going back to my value uh, values as a as a as a businessman, I won't put anything out there that that is not the highest quality. And so, what I do um, when we design our our road rim uh, clint, uh, I'm sorry, when we design our rim brake uh, clincher rims. Um, we have a, a couple different factories that we're looking at, and so what we're doing is um, we're bringing those to the U.S. And a company out of uh, Boulder, Colorado, called Microback is actually going to test the resins for us as they heat up, and then use different uh, brake pads. W- what what's the best situation for us? And so that's what we're doing is uh, is is going to go through that whole testing process to find out the best rim one, and then the best brake pad that matches up with that rim. Right, and you said that the testing process itself was only a couple hundred bucks. Like it's pretty cheap. Yeah, so it's not that bad, um, and I think they're giving us a good deal just because I I've, I've known them. It, it's actually kind of funny. I met them at the, my first interbike there, right next door to us, and I've just kept a relationship. and And when I can help them out, I do. I make the introductions when they need to, um, when when they need to talk to different companies. Like for instance, TRP, um, they, they spoke to them. You know, a couple weeks when they were all out at Ogden. Uh, for the, um, you know, via the handmade bike show that was just in Salt Lake. So Microbat came up there, introduced them to TRP, and they were talking to them about some things. So do they cut you a deal because you're bringing a business? Uh, I'd like to think so. I think it's just me being a nice guy, but probably right. probably me bringing them extra business. I don't know, though. Well, it all goes around, comes around. It, exactly right. right. The uh, product spec question <laughs> And this, you know, at risk of sounding like we're just geeking out on bike stuff here, but there's kind of, in my mind, this is a business decision that anybody might run into when you're specking a product. So you're getting ready to build some wheels with um, Onyx hubs, Mm -hmm. which are good, and they have a pretty unique engagement mechanism, but they're also heavy, and cyclists are usually very weary of adding heavier things to their bikes. So what's Mm -hmm. the... Like, what's the reasoning behind going with this product? Uh, that's a good question. It is, it is a gamble. Uh, cyclists, we do nerd out on what's the lightest and greatest. But the trends I've actually seen is, you know, the wider is better, not only on the road, but also on the mountain bike side. I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I sold a set of cross-country wheels on the mountain bike side. Uh, everything's going enduro or that plus width. And so there's less importance uh, being placed on the actual weight side of the wheel versus the ride quality. Um, now, with that being said, the Onyx Hub is is a special hub. It's actually very different from anything else out there. It's an instant engagement hub. So there's no pause ready to, 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 to engage with that ring. So there's no downtime, if you will. It's instant engagement. So you actually pick up some watts at that point. Um, and then you can argue the case that the hub is in the middle of the, the rotating mass of the wheel, so it shouldn't be all that important, although it is. It, there's a delicate balance that, that I have to play, and, and there is a gamble in building a, a heavier set of wheels, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking for different ways to, 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 to build that new wheel. Right. Well, do you guys build the order, though, or are you gonna, you're not going to be sitting on a ton of stock of built wheels with these uh, if it doesn't work out? I, I'm actually, uh, we're just at the Taipei show where this is the first time we're showcasing, like, you're the first person to see that besides our wheel builder. Like, no one else has seen it. And so we're, we're going to release it to the marketplace and potentially buy, you know, and stock some of these, these Onyx hubs. 
Okay. Now, is it just a, a regular Onyx hub, or you mentioned it's co-branded. Is there something else special about it that's unique to you guys? No. Uh, we are we are going to be working with them uh, on the weight issue, though, uh, moving forward. Not this year, just because it, you know, with, with everything, you have to uh, devote time and, and not a, you almost have to pick your battles on where you you devote your time for the uh, you know pushing of uh, of lighter, stronger, more durable products. Uh, I'm devoting my time to the rim side, and what I'm going to do is make suggestions to Onyx on how to maybe lighten things up. I, I know they've just released a um, an aluminum free hub body with an interesting uh, anti bike guard on it. Um, I haven't seen it yet. He just told me about it. But right now, it's currently a stainless steel cassette body on there, and it adds some weight. It's nice, but it adds a lot of weight. And I think we can knock probably 50 grams or so off that 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 portion portion of it. Cool. Yeah, really neat stuff. Right on. All right, let's. Um, I got a lot of business questions for you now. So let's start with where you guys are located, which is Ogden, Utah, which has <coughs> turned itself over the last, I don't know how many years, five, six, ten years, into a, a pretty big shipping hub, and they're getting very aggressive with trying to bring businesses into Ogden. Um, and that's how you got to the Taipei show here, is mm-hmm. through local and federal business grants that Utah provided to bring you guys here. So tell me a little bit about that. Like, A, why did you move from Mississippi to Ogden yourselves, and then how are you... Yeah, so uh, so the interesting thing about the move, let's we'll start there just because it, it, in the timeline it, it makes sense to start from that <laughs> point. Um, so we, we're living in small town Mississippi, uh, not a lot of opportunities. Um, n- there was no wheel builders to speak of, no cycling industry at all. So we were actually having to ship our wheels to Michigan to have built up at the wheel department uh, for years. And logistically, it was it was just hard for us because, um, you, you know, it's two or three days to ship up take them a week or two to build the, 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 the wheels and then a couple days to ship down. And so at that point, uh, we, uh, Karen and I decided we wanted to, to move the, the business as we grew it to a more cycling-specific area. And so we had a half dozen places in the U.S. that we uh, wanted to check out that, that not only made sense for us to move the business to, but quality life, you know, because it, it is about a balance to where I like to ski, I like to ride both mountain bike and and uh, and roads, uh, but it, it's it was that one thing where where can I get all three of those things all in one place? Um, so we we started looking at at uh, of course the the front range in Colorado, but I mean it, everything's so expensive there. I, I we couldn't afford a house, you know, and and it so we had to kind of strike that from from our thing and and went out to Ogden, uh, Utah with. Um, uh, the the idea of hey we like skiing we always used to come out to Utah to ski during the winter uh, let's just check this place out and we had heard that there was a lot of people moving their businesses to Ogden uh, specifically cycling and other outdoor industry uh, like Osprey and Rosignol are there you know just just interesting synergies that you can uh, you can um, you know network with it's not the perfect situation but it's still kind of cool seeing all that those those businesses there uh, so we visited met with the mayor. Uh, met with the state, and a couple months later, we made the decision that Ogden was the place we wanted to be. Uh, and we, there was a couple things involved with that. Um, the 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 engineer that we were working with on the the metal and the carbon matrix rim, he was actually stationed in in Salt Lake, so it was kind of an easier uh, way for us to meet on a weekly basis to try to figure that whole thing out. 
quality of life, like I said, you know, skiing and, and mountain biking and road biking. Uh, but then also there's a lot of other um, industry there that will help us move potentially manufacturing to the U.S. Like there's an, actually an aluminum extruder in, you know, like five minutes away from our office, which is kind of cool. And our current landlord is uh, uh, Good Skis. So he actually produces carbon fiber skis uh, right next door to us. So you might see a, a collaboration here very soon with him. Nice. So when you went and visited these other cities, visited Ogden, were you going and pitching them on moving your business there and trying to get incentives? or? Uh, no. Uh, we just wanted to check out the place. Uh, and Ogden was the only place that showed interest in, in us moving there. Right. So they, I'm not going to say they rolled out the red carpet with incentives or anything, but they made it known they were interested in building a, a culture there. Uh, the other thing is I knew a, a handful of people that, you know, from the bike industry, from the trade shows I'd go to, I just knew them, and it was, it's kind of an easy transition to a place where you already have a friend or two. Yeah, so when you looked at these cities and stuff, you said you met with the mayor. Were you, mm-hmm. even though they weren't offering things for you guys, did you call, like, the Chamber of Commerce or the mayor's office ahead of time for all these and say, hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking, you know, could somebody show me around, or did you just wing it and show up and drive around? No, actually, it was, it was a funny story. So years ago, Dealer Camp was located in Deer Valley, uh, and we started, our booth was right next to the Cliff Bar guy, so we started talking to them and asked, basically, hey, where can we where can we buy these Cliff Bars at a, on, on the bro deal type deal? And they said, experticity. And so we're like, okay. They were based in Utah, so we met with them. Uh, and when they were trying to sell us on listing our wheels on their site, uh, one of the sales guys was a neighbor of what they referred to as the Utah Czar. And so the mm-hmm. Utah Czar basically, he goes and finds outdoor industry uh, companies to bring to Utah and uh, reports directly to the governor. And so I got I got his name and number. We started chatting on the phone. He invited us out, got it, put us in touch with the, the Ogden um, municipality, and it kind of just went from there. So it's kind of a, a roundabout thing, but it's it's a perfect cycling industry story. Right. You know, it's all through networking because it's so small. You mentioned another type of grant yeah. that you guys are getting, or, or it's effectively a grant. So we talked about the expenses of opening up a mold when you want to produce <coughs> a new carbon fiber part. And you said that right now, um, I'm not sure why the business is down. Maybe you can provide some insight into that. But the factories in Taiwan or, or China are offering to create the molds for you mm-hmm. because they want to bring in more business. So that potentially saves, you know, lots and lots of money for you. So how are you, tell me a little bit more about that and how you're taking advantage of that. Absolutely, man. And, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. As we grow as a company, we're, we're buying more and more product. Um, and, and once that happens, people, I mean, the factories will come out of the woodwork to get your business from the other guys that you start with. And so what's basically happening is if you promise to, to buy a certain amount of rims per year, they'll throw in that mold fee or they'll, they'll waive that mold fee. And that's what I'm interested in. And, and I think it is because of the, the bike industry is down. Like last year, it was down 20%. And I think it would actually have been more than that had the e-bikes not propped it up a little bit. Uh, we were up 15% last year. So we, we've, our sales are stronger. Um, you know, we're expanding into do to into new markets, and and it's it's kind of it's kind of fun watching this whole thing you know unfold, and it's and it's kind of fun watching some of the factories that um, you know years past probably wouldn't even 
know who we were, but now they're 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 excited to do business with us. And the same with us. You know, if we can if we can save money on on mold fees, you know, it, it's it's nice. Yeah, it is nice. Now, do you? And you said there's multiple factories offering that. They're almost yeah. competing for your business now. Are they? Is it an enticing enough offer for you to move from one factory to another? Uh, depends. Um, and so basically, what we do is, uh, I, I am interested, uh, but at the end of the day, I have to offer that highest quality product. So what I do is, I requ- request samples, just generic samples from, you know, that some of their open molds, and I bring it in, and then I have that lab out in Colorado do the testing for me. So in essence, the the rim break. Uh, will be tested, and then also on the mountain bike side, we're going to be testing uh, impact on each of the mountain bike rims, and we will go with uh, the the one with the highest quality, the best impact, the the um, the highest temperatures for the rim break. Uh, so, you know, with with that being said, I'm I'm never, you know, I'm not, I'm not a cheap guy. I mean, I look at the bottom line, but it, you know, my whole thing is I want to build the best pro- quality product I possibly can, and I won't I'll I'll spend a couple extra bucks to do that. How hard is it to change factories? Let's say the one you have doesn't want to match that, you know, create the mold for you offer and somebody else has a comparable product. Is it a big deal to switch? Uh, Absolutely, because as you establish relationships within the industry, it's a small industry. Everyone knows everyone, um, and it's hard. You know, after we've done business with the same factory for eight years or so, it's going to hurt their feelings, Um, and, you know... I'm not saying we'll never go back with them, but you know it's one of those things where I'm a I'm very loyal, and you know, um, you know if, if someone's putting out a great product, why why make the switch? But it's it's one of those situations where I have to, at this point in time, look at what's best for the company and our our end user. You know, I, I'm we're going to be, you know, putting out probably seven eight different new molds this year because of the what what's happening in the cycling industry, and and if that's the case, you know, it's it's all better for everyone. Except right. for that one factory that's not going to get the business. <laughs> now the seven or eight new molds, that's a lot. Is that yeah. Are you accelerating that to take advantage of the fact that they're offering Ab- this deal for you? Absolutely. You know, in two years, you know, the, the bike market probably will be back to normal, uh, and they probably won't offer those deals. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting the, uh, you know, I'm basically putting the, the pedal to the metal on, on some of these and, and, and accelerating it. And then so we'll have... Uh, a couple different launches in 2018 for a few different mountain bike rims and then also road rims. So we're, it's busy for us, but it's fun. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that last year you were up about 15% and, mm. um, you were just listening to the interview I did with Boyd cycling. So he's mm. a similar category to basically the same category as you guys. Mm-hmm. You do rims or complete wheels where, I asked him this, so I've got to ask you: Where's that growth coming from? Is it are you ca- cannibalizing, uh, or not cannibalizing? Are you stealing from other wheel brands, or is it people are just adding a second wheel set? Or? Uh, so I mean, there's 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 a, that, that's a pretty good question. There's a few things that I attribute this to. Probably about four or five years ago, I could see the this my sales slipping on, uh, you know, sales directly to the IBDs, uh, and. Yeah, what was happening is they would they like our product, but they just couldn't afford to stock it in their in their in their um, in their shop. So what happens is they'll sell out of a catalog or from our our website, and then call me up and go, "Hey, I need to order this one set of wheels or two sets of wheels." And so, hoping I had it in, that I guessed right and I actually 
ordered the right amount of wheels that were selling through the IBDs. I had a pretty good guess at what they were going to sell, but it, it just wasn't a sustainable uh, business model. So at that point in time, we, we decided to um, um, kind of roll the dice again and go for the little bit of the gamble and you know cater to the, the online retailers. And so our biggest customer, which is Backcountry, uh, they, they buy a lion's share of our wheels. And what we've done is, um, you know, we, as as most of the companies adhere to map pricing, we don't adhere to that. You know, in my mind, uh, it's their business. They they can decide what they want to do with, with how much margin they want to make or not make. And so how I control it is what price do I sell it to them at? And what am I comfortable with? And so that's the, the decision we made, and it's it's been working out for us pretty nicely. Yeah, huh? That's really interesting because yeah. that's like the polar opposite of what so many other people are doing because they want to maintain a relationship with the independent bike shop, you know, the retail outlets. Mm-hmm. And this sounds like the retailers probably aren't too thrilled to sell uh, your product. A pro- no, they're not. But again, it it was I, I either. Either stay with the IBDs and die, or I, I move on to where the market I think is heading, and that's what I did. I, I moved on to where I, I thought the market was going to be. Uh, now, with that being said, we are looking at potentially developing a line uh, specific to a handful of quality IBDs. You know, the big ones that, in my mind, will make it through this this un- time of uncertainty in the IBD markets because you see them closing up left and right. In my mind, the 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 high end, the quality. IBDs will make it. That's who I'd like to partner with, and I reward them with a you know trade zone protection, and then also with a unique set of wheels only to be sold through the IBDs. Hmm. So the deal with Backcountry does that um, that must allow you some economies of scale in building because you don't have to build on demand based on what the customer wants. You know this time with this color <coughs> hub or whatever else, you can just build hundreds of wheels at a time and. Exactly right. I mean, and we've had to ramp up. We, um, you know, we we have a handful of builders now in house, and and they, if we don't get in, let's put it this way: if we don't get another purchase order, um, they're 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 busy through June. Wow. I mean, yeah, and they and I, and I sound horrible, but you know, I'm you know their their vacations are kind of on hiatus here and there, you know, just to kind of get through them. But they're an awesome set of uh, they're an awesome set of wheel builders. I mean, it's uh, I I wouldn't be here without those guys. You know, it, it takes a team to to get it all done. When you, well, do you mind sharing like about how many wheel sets you do per year? Uh, we're at about uh, I mean, it's, I think we're at about three three thousand or so this past year, and we're looking to increase it to about four this coming year. For two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you first started this, did you have this? size of a business in mind or like what was your vision for it starting out um it was kind of funny my my wife dusted off the initial (laughs) business plan I wrote years ago and and I had to chuckle because it's nothing like what I we've grown it into and um you know it's it and that kind of shows you know the you know with 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 any type of business you always have to be flexible and pivot to where the market's heading uh, and so, I, I mean, when we first started, I mean, I, do I have a five-year plan? I no, not really, because I think it, it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I, I plan for probably two years out, and those plans change too. You right. know, just because, it, especially right now, the market 
the bicycle market that's going through so much uh, disruption, uh, it allows a smaller company like us to move into that mid-range a lot faster and easier than it would have been, you know, 10 years ago. So what was the original vision? Uh, I was, <laughs> I was going to, of course, I was going to sell frames and wheels, and I was going to sell it online and uh, eBay. And it was just, a, looking at it, it just didn't make any sense. You know, now I've been into the industry for eight or nine years now. You, you kind of have a sense of what, what's going to work and what's not going to work. And that model probably would not have worked. <laughs> right. Well, how quickly did you pivot from that then? Because I've only ever known you to do just mm-hmm. wheels. Uh, it was a quick pivot. It was about a, we, we brought in frames about, I think it was the first year. And we only brought in probably uh, like 150 to 200 uh, frames. Did you sell them? Yeah. Do you still have any? No, no, no more. <laughs> Right. I, I still get a little, a few people ask questions about it. You know, someone sees it used online, you know, being sold, we'll, we'll see them, but that's about it. What was the brand name? For it that? was Mercury, Mercury as well. Mercury, yeah. okay. Huh. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm almost just throwing this out there as a point of thought for myself and anybody listening. Is You, you know, you mentioned to do that, you would have had to do, okay, a cross bike, a couple of different types of road bikes, mountain bikes. Seems like you could focus pick a niche you know like cross you said was blowing up and is still i think growing um you know just become like the cyclocross brand but it's neither here nor there i guess at this point no it's it is all about niching uh your market and uh when i first got into the business there's this one guy that that uh owned e-bike stop his name was chris kuzma he actually died a few years ago but he uh he and i were talking one day and he said what you need to do is go you need to to focus on one wheel and go deep. That's what you need to do. And at first I was like, no, there's no way I need to do that. I need to broaden, you know, get a lot of different stuff out there. But, you know, once I started really thinking through it, it, it makes sense. You know, I, I can tell what wheel sells the best for me, and that's what I go deep with. You know, I, I don't, I stock a lot of those particular, um, uh, you know, sizes, and that's what I do. All right. You started off with just road wheels, right? Yeah, just road wheels. So we sponsored the Kinder Pro team. And at that point in time, I was spending probably 90% of my personal time riding the road, maybe 10% on the on the mountain bike side. Um, so I didn't really understand the mountain bike um, industry that well. And especially that was, I'll date myself a little bit, but that was back when the wheels were 26-inch wheels. And it was just getting into that whole 29er. And I didn't know where the market was heading. And so I I tend to be a little conservative and cautious when that when I don't understand something. And so it took me a few years to get into the mountain bike side. And what I did is I pivoted into uh, cyclocross, which is kind of like a, a road to cross is a, a pretty good uh, um, jump or, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of crossover in that. And then from that point, we, we found out which hubs to use on the disc side and then made the jump into the mountain bike side. Is it was it hard for you, or do you think it's hard to go from being a predominantly road brand where you're catering to one type of customer and then become a valid option in the mountain bike? You know, a different type of customer. Uh, absolutely, they're two different riders. I mean, like, and then the triathletes—they're another different demographic. So they're each each particular discipline is different. You know, they what 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 a road cyclist likes is not going to be the same thing as a mountain bike cyclist because. I've never had a question of how many points of engagement do I have on my road wheels. <laughs> I get it every day on the mountain bike side. Right. You know, and, that, and that's why I like that Onyx Hub so much because it's instant engagement. That, that's kind of neat. Yeah. So there's, I want to 
split off on the two separate tangents. One is like a little bit of business detail and some stuff we were talking about as far as like the the logistics and operations of your business, and then also your side venture, Illumaware. So let's stick to products. We'll go to Illumaware. Uh, just real quick, nutshell. What tell us what Illumaware is? Oh, you bet. Um, Illumaware is a it's a is in a nutshell it's a safety product, and what it's going to do is interact with vehicles that have. Um, the the precursors to autonomous driving to include autonomous driving. Autonomous driving is basically when you're not going to be driving your car, and that's coming very very fast. Um, I could cite a whole bunch of cases, but I mean it gets kind of boring, and and you get into the weeds with that. So basically, what it does is it it uh, uh, the radar as as the car is coming up on other cars, people, just things that it doesn't want to run into, uh, like for auto braking for. Uh, uh, adaptive cruise control, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, our reflector, our passive reflector, actually increases the size of, of um, well, it does, well, let me, let me see. So, so basically. It makes the bike rider look way bigger than they really yeah, are. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, sort of. To the radar. Yeah, so the radar, at that point, thinks that it's a, a, uh, a, um, how should I say this? It's a, um, it makes it look like a, a, a valuable target. And I, I know that sounds really bad being a target, but if you look at a human um, on a radar, we're, we're horrible reflectors. We're just full of salt water, basically, and it makes us look like basically the size of a bush. So it's not, an, you know, when that, when that radar from the car is looking out, it's looking for big, flat metal pieces like other cars not to run into. And so we as cyclists are at a very big disadvantage uh, when on the road with these with these radar systems because it doesn't see us that well. And so what happens is our reflector uh, makes us look basically the, 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 as important as a car on the road. Now, how did you come up with this idea? Ooh, I, I didn't personally. Um, well, it was, it was kind of a collaboration. One of my, my business partner, Alexis, he's a, or he was a F-18 pilot in the Marine Corps. He, uh, you know, it was basically just radar. And so this 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 uh, technology was out there, uh, but it hadn't been applied to uh, the the bike industry or pedestrians or motorcycles or anything else that we're kind of leaning towards uh, going into those markets. But uh, it was, and this was probably I think it was four or five years ago we started on this project. So it was very early to the game, and we're still early to the game. But we have a prototype uh, that we've um, uh, integrated this reflector into. A really nice light that offers about a hundred uh, lumens of, of of kick to it, so it's going to be kind of a multifaceted type thing. And you guys patented the design, right? Yeah. On this, because it's very dependent on having the correct angles to have this tiny little thing. It's ba- I've seen, you know, the one I've seen is you know maybe inch and a half, two inches in diameter, but kind of hexagonal shaped and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's not very big to have that sort of a effect on. A vehicle's radar system. Right, exactly right. So, and so, what we thought about is this: um, as a rider, you know, I'm your, I'm your average rider. So, if I'm out on the road, I, I want to integrate as much things as possible to keep the clutter down on my bike. And so, everyone has a rear light. Everyone does. Well, most people do. They should anyway. And so, what we decided to do is integrate that rear, uh, uh, our reflector into that rear light, uh, and basically replace their current light situation. 
Yeah, which is smart because, like you said, you don't yeah. want to keep adding more and more things to the bike. Right. Um, from a business standpoint and like a time management standpoint, mm. what made you want to pursue this opportunity when you already have a pretty uh, time-intensive wheel company? Uh, yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing is uh, when, when we were in Mississippi, that's where it first got started. Uh, my business partner, that's, that's where I met him. And so probably about a month before Alexis came to me with this idea and he knew I was in the industry. So he said, Hey, what do you think if, you know, we came out with this, do you think that would be, you know, a good idea? And I was like, well, of course. Uh, but unfortunately a, a, a girl got hit and killed, uh, locally by a, a, a driver. And, um, so that, that was kind of the, the emphasis behind it. And he has a daughter and, and, and here it is. I mean, we're all out on the road and we're always thinking about, does that driver see, see us? Is he, is, uh, is that driver going to plow us? And so I'm always cognizant of it. So I think everyone else is too, of course. And so, and that's why we all wear bright clothes. We're wearing helmets We're we have the blinky lights. We're actually trying to prevent the accident from happening. Um, and then, you know, mitigating, you know, some potential like death or, or, you know, massive bodily injuries what right. we're trying to do. So how do you manage the time between the two? companies uh i'm i'm burning the candle at both ends to be honest with you it's it's it is tough and i uh we have an excellent team at mercury that that helps out and um and then an excellent team we've assembled at alumaware as well so everyone has their parts and at first when it first got started i I, you know with alumaware it was just my partner and i so we did a lot of work uh now we have you know a finance guy and and you know hired some ip attorneys and and just doing it the right way uh, so it, it's freeing up my time, but it, it's it's coming fast that that we're gonna we'll most likely be hiring an operations person to kind of help me out with my um, with with my day to day operations at Mercury. Right. So one of the challenges you mentioned with Illumaware is that it's it's almost ahead of its time in that I think who's at Volvo has a compatible radar system mm-hmm. in their bikes, right? Uh, yeah, everyone does for the most part. I mean, okay. at the end of the day, there's only a handful of radar companies that install. Uh, these these uh, front-looking radar system in cars. So there's Bosch, Autoleave, uh, Delphi, and then a handful of others. And so the Volvo has the same unit as the Fords, as the as the Chevys. Everyone pretty much uses the same ones or has the same technologies. Right. Okay, but the what you mentioned earlier was that, um, well, way earlier, like this is discussion we've had for years about this yeah. Illumor products that have been following your progress, but you said... Uh, the goal is never to really produce a product. It was always to license the technology. Yeah, and uh, so we, we had a handful of conversations last year at the Taipei show and at Interbike, um, but everyone that was talking to us about licensing the product liked the idea, understand that it's it's going to be a few years down the road, um, and so basically what they would tell us is, why don't you bring it to market and see, prove to us that there's a need for this product. And so that's what we've done. We, I feel, I feel strong enough to, to, to still, you know, bring it to market, spend our own money, uh, to to come up with the prototypes, and then we'll have that light coming on board probably within two or three months. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Right on. Development costs for this. <coughs> Can you share any kind of ballpark on? Oh, it's it's expensive. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, basically, we had to hire. Uh, even though I, I I understand radar and and. I get the concept of it, but that's different from being an expert in your field. So we had to hire a uh, th- this one um, engineer who's 
basically an expert in this field from MIT, and so he's basically on retainer. And so cost-wise, I mean, it's it's rolling into probably two hundred thousand bucks as of right now. You know, it just it just it just takes money to do something like this. Let's switch gears for a second over to the business management side of it because you mentioned a service called Zendesk. And so for Mercury Cycles, you said having the customer communication and the customer support was well, a little bit of a struggle or very time consuming because mm-hmm. you have inquiries coming in from you know, Facebook, Twitter, email, websites, mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. And so you mentioned Zendesk, which I'd heard of. I never really knew what they did. So not that we're making a commercial for Zendesk, but <laughs> I, I thought it was really interesting what they do, if you want to share for a second. Absolutely. So uh, so what we were, you know, years a couple of years ago, we were having to go to Facebook every day and, and see who posted a question for us and we can answer it. Uh, and then emails, you know, multiple like info, warranty supports, emails coming through. So basically what it does, Zendesk, will take every single place that you decide you want to check and it'll go to one queue. And so it's all, you know, online. So you basically get the question in an email format and then you can answer it. Uh, and then you can kind of follow the, 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 the issue or any questions they have through the, the, the process. So if, if I answer the first question um, and I don't answer it perfectly or they have another question, they can email back and one of our customer support reps can then pick it up and answer it. So it's a it's a situation where, um, you, you know, basically it all just falls into one queue and makes makes our life easy. So if somebody sends a question in on Facebook, you mm-hmm. get an email and reply that way. Does that does the answer go back to that person on Facebook? Yep. Oh, that's pretty impressive. So yes, what, it's really cool. What does that service cost? Uh, it's actually pretty cheap. I'm gonna guess because I don't really handle the the day to day costing, but I think it's. Uh, between ten and twenty bucks a month. Oh my god! I mean, it's so cheap. Oh yeah, and it 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 save it saves us hours and hours, and then also the quality of customer service goes up at that point. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, let's face it. We're I, I didn't go to Facebook, or our customer service reps wouldn't go to Facebook every day, or you know, at a in a timely fashion. And so now it, this is real time. We just we just we can answer questions within a few minutes. Huh. It makes yeah. it makes life easy. Yeah. Any other little services or tools like that that you found really helpful for you? Um. Not as much as that one. That one. That one was a big one. All right. So for somebody that wants to start a company, you know, like it doesn't have to be a wheel company, but a a product company mm-hmm. that uh, is maybe some of this relies on a couple of different parts that have to be assembled, or a or creating a part that requires a bigger part. In this case, a wheel requires a bicycle to be mm-hmm. of any use. Uh, what are some maybe quick challenges that you face and how you overcome them? Any tips? Um, yeah, I, I would. Uh, before you jump into th- anything, I would study the market to see if there's a, where's their need? Where's, where's there something that is not there yet? And that's where I would jump into it. Or where would a, a situation be um, like, a, like a product that's not very good uh, and go from that way? Like you and I were talking about, you know, like the whole insurance thing with um, uh, the... Uh, oh, geez, who were we talking about? Yeah, the... Uh, Oh, Kickstarter. Yeah, the Kickstarter. Like if, if the Kickstarter campaign doesn't fund, you know, maybe, you know, that, that, that person from Kickstarter blew through all the money on developing or whatever and doesn't have any money to refund it, maybe there's an insurance company out there would love to, you know, offer, a, you know, maybe 50% of your, your money back if it doesn't get, you know, if, if it never comes to fruition. So things like that, you know, you're, in my mind, you always uh, think about where am I... Uh, you know, where's there something, a need that I, I personally need and I can't find it 
anywhere in the market. And then at that point, then I'm like, hey, maybe I should start that company. Um, I hadn't done that yet, just because Mercury's been keeping busy. Alumaware well, is. Now I gotta ask. That, yeah, Alumaware yeah. makes sense on that. But so Mercury or the the frames when you started, what was the need back then? That <laughs> yeah. what was the itch you were scratching <laughs> with that one? Well, I, of course I'm the smartest guy I know, so I, I figured I could make it work and hard headed. But man, it I, I we fast realized that was the wrong path. And at that point, you you know, in my mind, you you fail fast, and you uh, you know if something's not going to work, you just kind of cut it off kind of like that that rim uh design that we were trying to do with the metal and the and the carbon it just wasn't working you know something wasn't right about it so we just kind of nipped it in the bud instead of just keep on going with it and wasting a bunch of time so that's what that's the frames were just i mean i i it was to the point where i hated bikes you know getting home it just was it was a nightmare i I didn't like it too much well hey man i appreciate your time yeah no problem man it's good talking to you you want to see something real cool of course The biggest lesson for me was to look at alternative channels for retail distribution. While many brands, well, really most brands, in the cycling industry openly talk about supporting the local bike shop, Chris's tactic doesn't do much to coddle that relationship. Instead, he sells almost all of his wheels through Backcountry.com, a massive online retailer known for closeouts and discounted pricing. That allows consumers to get a great wheel at a great deal and Mercury Cycling still gets full margin on their end, allowing them the resources to grow and fund research and development. So what retail channels can you look at that give you a competitive advantage? Of course, the risk is he's putting all his eggs in one basket. If Backcountry discontinues his product, he'll need to find another retail outlet quick. Chris has hedged his bets by mostly producing on demand based on Backcountry's orders, so he probably wouldn't be left with a ton of inventory but it's still a good idea to have a few ways to get your product to the end consumer. For more thoughts on this episode and links to his site and other stuff we talked about, check out the show notes at thebuildcycle.com. And while you're poking around the interwebs, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're at thebuildcycle on all three. If you're digging this podcast but haven't subscribed yet, you might want to take a minute and hit that button now. I've got some amazing guests coming up and the stories just keep getting better. I wouldn't want you to miss a single episode. Until next time, keep building.